introduction. My name is Jay. It is short for something. Try to be unique. Try to be a little bit original. I do that with pretty much everything. I've, I guess I'm a natural contrarian in that, like I'll tell people, contrarian means you're against stuff. And it just comes natural to me. Like if I go to a movie, I'll come out of that movie and go, man, I hate that thing. That's it's going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> if I hate it, it's going to make a billion dollars. If I love it, probably never heard of it. I'll be like, oh, that is the greatest movie. One of the, one of the top ten movies I've ever seen. What is? Never heard of it. Just comes natural. I don't even have to look at the reviews. I can just watch the movie and say, oh, that's terrible. It's going to make, make a billion. But it kind of is what it is. So I've used that sort of. I mean... You know, I purposely don't tuck my shirt in, and I do that because if that bothers somebody, I feel like they're probably focused on the wrong sorts of things, and so it is what it is. Uh, I've, it's been a very long and sordid journey for me. I am one of those people that I was born into the church. I was born into an independent fundamental Baptist church in Akron, uh, one of the largest IFBs that's ever existed to this day, actually, the Akron Baptist Temple. It had 6,000 active members at one time. And so that's pretty good for a fundamental church to have more than 100, let alone 6,000. Um, you know, my first day was six weeks old in the nursery. You know, from six weeks on, I rarely missed a day. Uh, I missed a little bit of time. I had to have surgery and operation when I was five, missed some time. And from the time of five until I was 22, I never missed a single Sunday. Actually, they give out they give out pins for perfect year attendance, and I had a 17 years of perfect attendance pin, and that's not a to brag about my attendance, because to be completely honest with you, I showed up, I started working in their media ministry. They had a television and radio ministry that was live radio and television was delayed by a week. Started working in that, pulling wires, doing stuff, doing clocks. Started doing sound, live sound for the for the recordings. By the time I was 13, had I started interning with them as an editor, started working in video, started doing website design, was making videos for them. I was brought I was broadcasting on the radio stuff. I started a Bible study where I taught Bible study. Uh, we started. We started working with a group that did a puppet ministry. We're puppeteers. We taught little chilled little kids the word of God through puppets and stuff. And to be completely honest with you, in spite of the fact that I walked down the aisle when I was five years old and said a prayer, evidently it didn't take because everything on the outside you could ever want. Anybody. So they would look at me on the outside, they'd say, man, that is, a, that is a child of God right there. But I was, I was rotten on the inside, just like the apples. I, they, I, it, evidently, it didn't, that seed didn't plant right because I became perfect. I was great at saying all the right things, telling all the right stories. I knew all the words, I knew all the lines, but really inside, I just did what I wanted to do. And it was, it's really, it's, that's really easy to do, especially in the fundamental Baptists, because so many people will say, oh, here's, I mean, you, you join, and they say, here's a list of the things we do, 
And everybody has their distinctives. Okay, well, we believe in baptism a certain way, or we believe now. Okay. And then they basically give you a list of here's the things we don't do. <laughs> and then the list of things we don't do, 10 times longer than the list of things they do. And so what happens, I mean, you'll say, oh, they we're not allowed to dance. Yeah, no dancing, nothing like that. Huh. Well, we were at the pastor's daughter's wedding, and they danced. Yeah, but they weren't at the church when they did that. Oh. So you develop a sense of there's church, and then there's the rest of the world. In church, you say the right things, you do the right things, and then you go into the world and just do whatever. It becomes very easy, especially when you're young, to develop that mentality that church is church and the rest of the world is the rest of the world. Sometimes you got to lie and cheat a little bit to get ahead, so you do what you got to do. Just as long as you don't do it in church, you're fine. That's pretty much how it was. It was all, the, I knew all the words. Matter of fact, I hate, I would read the Bible, try to read the Bible, but I hated it. Because I would read it and I would see things in there and I'm like, that's terrible. That's awful. I don't want that. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to see these things happening. People getting killed and there's all kinds of... There's a flood. We teach the flood to children like it's... Oh, there was a bunch of people and they got on a little boat and then some water came. Like a billion people died. Like that's not... That's not happy. A billion people died. There's eight people got on a boat and got out of that. That's, that's crazy. And when I was young, I, I saw stuff like that. I never... I'm a natural contrarian. I... I didn't see, well, thank God he saved eight people. I saw, well, what about the people who died? That was my first thought at five years of age. What about the people who died? What about them? No grace for them? So you get to a point where you get, I could tell you, I ran a Bible study, and all I did was I told you what we believe as Baptists. Not what the Bible said. Not what... God says or wants for us what we as Baptists believe and what our church believes, which is different than the church down the street, believes. And that's what I was. And eventually, everything done in darkness comes to the light. <laughs> so I was working as doing a production on a uh, film. It was an independent film, but uh, it was a pretty good, uh, pretty pretty high production value. And... It would happen to be like a PG-13 film. Didn't really have any sex or violence or anything like that in it, but just the subject matter was not appropriate, really. And about that same time, I was about 22, 21, and I somehow got on staff at the church. I was just kept working. I'd been there forever, 13 years of working for them. They're like, well, we have an opening. Would you like to do this? I was like, yeah, sure. So I started working for it. Next thing you know, I'm like, maybe I just, maybe this is like, maybe I'll do ministry. Maybe I'll, I'll, so I signed up for seminary. I quit my job working for the production company. I'm going to do this. And then, sad to say, somebody who wanted the job, who didn't get it, went ahead and sent a bunch of stuff, including the movie that I was a part of, to the executive pastor of the group. And they fired me for it. And now it was, any, we've since made up over the situation. I have hugged the people that were involved, and I admit I made mistakes, and I think they would admit they made mistakes. Because the way it was done was not how you should handle brothers in Christ, and especially not the way you probably should handle young, young adults. 
And unfortunately, oddly enough, I think that they overreacted so much on the firing that when they tried to tell the story, people kind of went, that's it? <laughs> and so the story grew a little bit. And tales got added. And lies got introduced to make it seem more appropriate that, that it would happen. And I actually got to witness a lie being told. And I was like, you know what? I am done. I'm done with all things Christian. I've been in church my whole life. And I had, what's it gotten me? I'm out of a job. And it was after I quit my good job. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm done. So I went off. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. Out in the world now. And I always believed there was a God. I never believed there wasn't a God. There's got to be a God. In my mind, it all had to come from somewhere. Matter of fact, I actually kind of felt like God seems like he's a little angry with me. So I know he exists because he keeps slapping me around. So he's got to be there. I just don't know anything about him. So after a while of doing my own thing and drinking and various things that you don't want to do, I was basically at a point where I had nothing else to nothing else to do, and I said, "Okay, God, I give up. <laughs> I give up. I'll do it. I'm gonna find out about you. I'm gonna. And the thing is, I don't care what people say about you. I want to know the character of God. Why is the Bible the way it is? Why do we hear things? And so I actually went to the farthest way I could. I went over and I studied Hinduism." And after Hinduism, I studied Islam. And then I studied Buddhism and Taoism. And I studied all kinds, and I'm talking deep study. Months and months ingrained in this stuff. Wiccan, Lima. I eventually ended up back on the American continent and Jehovah's Witnesses. And the Mormons. And finally, I ended up back at the church, back at the Bible. I was sitting there and I looked at the Bible and I said, all right, all right. I don't know what you want, but all right. I'll, go, I'll, I'll open it up and I'll do it. Now, interestingly enough, I said, here's the thing, though. I only care about what God says. So I opened up my Bible. They happen to have red letters. And the first letters in red are in Matthew 3. And it's where Jesus is getting baptized. And he tells John. And John says, well, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And the first thing it says, and this is, I'm questioning, God, what do you want? I mean, why is things, why are things terrible? And it says, suffer it to be for now, for thus it becomes to fulfill all righteousness. And I'm like, if ever there was a verse that perfectly pinpoints something in someone's life, that right there. Why is everything going the way it has? Why has everything been terrible the way it was? It had to be that way. That's the only way I would have ever learned. Had it been easy, I never would have appreciated it. Had God just given it, I never would have appreciated it. I never would have studied. I never would have looked into it. But because it was difficult, I had to work at it. And I appreciate what I found. I had to, I had to scratch and claw for every single fact and figure. So what I did was I told him, I said, okay, I'll give you a year. Taking this Bible apart, piece by piece. I'm reading every line, everything. There's one thing in there I don't like. I'm done. Well, you see me up here, right? So, <laughs> a year and a half later, I was like, all right, okay, I get it. 
So from then on, I went to a couple of different churches, helped out. We actually helped a struggling church that was in the area that was, they said they were on their last week and they were closing the doors and they'd never be there again. And I wasn't the pastor, I was working media. And my, uh, my cousin, John, who is a pastor there, he went ahead and just said, well, let's see what we can do. And that was seven years ago and they're still open and they're still going and they've been brought back from the brink. And I admit, I, I'm one of these people, when I do something, I'm all in. I'm 100% in. There's no part of me that's not in. And so I, I wore myself out. I mean, I was sleeping in the pews at that church three, four nights a week to make sure. And I, I wore myself out. But one of the things I did was the whole, I took all that time to study, study, study. And then I started teaching. And you never know how much you know something until you have to teach it. When you have to teach it, that's when you know how much you don't know. And when you have to, and if you can explain it to children, I started, I did a thing where we had what's fifth Sunday. So like four times a year, there's a fifth Sunday. And so the, the kids from first grade through fifth grade, and I just, I'll take care of that. Why not? If you can teach it to someone six to 10, then you can teach it to anybody. And there's nothing I've learned that is more real then people try to complicate this book. But it's so simple, a kid can understand it. When it all comes down to it, it's so simple, a kid can understand it. I mean, I went through the process of learning how to read Greek, learning how to read Hebrew, learning all these fancy words they use, and all this different stuff. And it all comes back to being so incredibly simple. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And he says, and if you really love me, you'll follow my commandments, which are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and all your strength, and do good to others. And it's that simple. And you, it's that simple. So I have dedicated my life to taking this and trying to explain to people, you're making it too complicated. Let's make it simple. Let's make it simple. One of the things that I really struggled with was dealing with the unbelievableness of certain claims in the Bible. People say, well, can somebody really raise from the dead? Can somebody really... A flood, a global flood, can it really happen? Genesis, it says it was made in six days. Can that really happen? All I know, after all kinds of study, I studied for 2,000 hours just in the year 2013 alone at one point. And all I can say is everything in here is right. You just have to be willing to see it. You have to be willing to get over yourself and see it. And so, one of the, it's, a, it's been an ongoing series that I've done. It's called Unbelievable. And I've basically gone through, and I go through unbelievable things. Well, creation story. Can God really become a man? Can somebody really raise from the dead? And so this is about the fifth one in this series. And this is called Lord of the Demons. Lord of the Demons. There's a lot of titles that Christ has given. Emmanuel, 
He's, you know, son of the most high. All kinds of, and there's titles he gave to himself, and he used for himself, and there's titles that were put on him. Some of the titles he used for himself, he used quite a few. Now, he used son of man, Ben-Adam, which basically means he was connecting himself with all the prophecies in Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and he, that means human one. We say, you know, son of man, but it actually, while that's a perfect translation, it's perfect, one could often also say human being. Or the human one. Because that's it means the same thing. In Hebrew, one term can mean three or four things. They're all accurate. It's just that we have more words in English. So that's why we have some more. That's why sometimes people make things complicated. So we have a bunch of words that all kind of say the same thing. And they were a lot more. They lived in a, a farming culture. So they were a lot more short and to the point. They didn't do a lot of wasting time. saying, so, well, this word doesn't quite mean that. No, the word means what it means. So, son of man, connecting himself with Isaiah and Ezekiel. Son of God. That's one that, interestingly enough, he only refers to himself in a theoretical sense. He actually does not say, I am the son of God. He will say, I come in the name of the Father, and the Father loves the Son. And the Son of God, who he sets free, is free indeed. So he uses it in a very unique way. And one of the reasons why is because he was kind of toying with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who wanted to trap him into saying something blasphemous. And he never did. Both never actually said it, but at the same time, he used all the terminology that we need to know that he was for real and that what he said meant what he said. He, he does the will of the Father. That's what he does. He's son of the Most High. Son of the Blessed One, when he's being condemned and they're saying, you know, just tell us. He wouldn't say anything when they were trying to accuse him. And finally, Caiaphas, just, just tell us, are you claiming to be the Son of God or not? And he says, you say that. And then he says, but I tell you this, you'll see me riding on the clouds in the glory. He's connecting himself with Daniel, the cloud rider, the one who who brings the rain, the one who he's connecting himself with the Ancient of Days. You know he did that because Caiaphas ripped his robe and said, he's uttered blasphemy, kill him. It can't be blasphemy because he really was who he said he was. Couldn't possibly be blasphemy. Called himself the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But one of the things they wanted to call him was Beelzebub. He's accused of being Beelzebub. He said, this man heals on the Sabbath. He's Beelzebub. Means, actually means Lord of the Flies. Is what its direct translation means. But it's Lord of Death, Satan. They're trying to claim he was Satan. Now, while he is not Satan, and he is not the Lord of the Flies, he is Lord of the Demons. Because Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Everything. Everything. Not a single, not a feather falls from the back of a sparrow without God knowing about it. Everything he knows, and he is the Lord of all. So we're going to start in Mark, in the fifth chapter in verse 1. And it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. 
and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and fell down, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, This is Christ, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, where they were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled, and told in the city, and in the country, and they went out to see what was done. And they came to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with the devils, and had the legion sitting, and clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, and said to him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Inspire us today for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time. I just pray that this message will land softly on the hearts of these people, and they will, they will get a better understanding and get a softer understanding of exactly who you are and your nature and the character of you, and that we'll all go out from this better people and more equipped to enter into this world. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we see that he had, there was a man who had a legion of demons. And in the sixth verse, it says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? He's actually saying, why, why, What did I do to have you come here? Why are you here to torment me? That's what he's saying. What, what, what did I do? And he said, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. See, when Jesus was on this earth, when he was, he was around the Holy Spirit was in town. The Holy Spirit was active. He was afar off. And they ran to him to say, whoa, what's going on? What, you know, they knew who he was. The people may have pretended like they didn't know. They may have acted like they didn't know. And Christ said over and over again, well, don't you have the prophets? I mean, they're talking about me. 
And yet the, the demons sure knew who he was. A man possessed with the devil, when he got there, immediately he ran up to him and said, well, he knew what, God, what Jesus was going to do. He knew what he was capable of. He knew what he was, was going to do. Why? Because the demons, they know the nature of God. They know. There's no question in their mind. They might be in rebellion, but they know. I do, and that is one thing I, I will say. I believe to this day there are demons and devils at work in this world. That is something that I have, I have seen things personally that it can be explained no other way. No other way. And that is something that not everybody will get to see or deal with because we all have a different thing that we work with in life. But everything in here is true. And I guarantee you, there's a reason why sometimes you say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And that happens. It's not all just coincidence. There are things working that we can't see. But they know who God is. Don't, don't be shocked. They know who God is. Uh, and even that, God says, Nate says, verse 8 says, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And 9 says, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Christ has that power. And we have that power. There's power in the name of Jesus. You can apert people who aren't even Christian have reported issues with demonic possession and various things. And when it's just crying out for somebody to help them, they start crying out different names that they've heard, whether they're a Muslim and they're here saying, you know, Muhammad or Allah, and they get to the name of Jesus, and there's power in that name, even when they don't believe it. You know why? Because the demons believe it. The demons know what they just said. The demons know, and they tremble at the thought. There is power in the name of Jesus. Demons are real, and they have a power. But Jesus is more powerful, and the Holy Spirit is better than anything that you can gain from any sort of dancing and prancing around with demonic and toying with the unseen realm that exists. And we see, now I do want to just... Put a thing because there is a this is an apologetic, which basically means it's answering some people who are critics, and that is people will talk about because in verse 10 it says, and he besought him that he would not send them out of the country. That does in fact say country, but that's again, that's a perfectly that is per, that means exactly what it says. Because the way the demons see it is there is heaven, there's earth, and there's hell. And they're not in heaven anymore, so they're in earth. They're in this area. The word country in the King James Bible basically means like a portioned out land. You know the boundaries of that land. It's a very large land, but you know the boundaries. Well, the demons know that this is in between the, th the three places they can be. And they know they're not allowed to go up. So there's only one place to go. And they, they, they ask. You know, don't send us out of this country. Don't send us out of this realm, this the, the earth realm. Because they don't want to go to hell. They, they don't want to go there. All the more reason why we should not want people to go there. Because demons know they don't want to go there. But if you notice what happened, and we'll jump to thir verse 13. It says, And for which Jesus gave them leave 
And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And I'm going to stop there because think about what happened. Jesus actually showed a little bit of pity even on these demons. They implored him, don't send, don't send us to hell. And he said, send us into those pigs instead. Okay. Just God, the same God that we serve, he causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He was even these demons that were imploring him, do not send us to hell. He actually said, okay, I won't. Now, we don't know, we don't know what happened, you know, with them. Did, you know, after the swine choked, did they end up in the abyss anyways? Because they didn't, or are they still around? Actually, there's a movie that was came out in 98 with Denzel Washington, and it called Fallen. And that actually discusses, the concept of the movie is these, these demons, this horde of demons is still around today and still doing things. And it actually connects it like that there's a, there's a guy who was a serial killer. And when they tried to kill him, the demons just left and went to another person because they didn't, con they didn't deal with the real problem, which was the possession. So the demons just jumped to another person. And when they're talking to him, it's a really, it's a really for real scene in the sense that he's talking to him. And he says, he goes, I saw it all. He goes, I was there on the countryside. I saw him step off the boat. And he goes, who? He goes, I was there when he was on the cross. I remember seeing that too. He goes, and I remember what way we felt when he walked out of the grave. So they know. That's a very, and that's something that, I mean, you wouldn't think Hollywood would be getting that deep into the Bible, but occasionally it happens. And, and like I said, it's, it's interesting to consider that Christ has, he has pity on everyone. Now, not everybody can have everything they want, because sometimes we want things that aren't good for us. But Christ will have pity on everyone. So we continue reading. And which and again, this is another thing. If you want to know, I, a lot of people will say, well, how many, how many demons were there? It just says legion. And that can mean different things, because if your Roman legions are different sizes, they can be two hundred, they can be two thousand, they can be twenty thousand. It all kind of depends. The thing is though, is that actually I I think it says it. Right there in the verse. People, there's been entire books written. It says right in the 13th verse. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and they entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000. And were choked in the sea. I actually think that that's, the reason why that was included was because that's about how many there were. It's about how many demons there were. What that mean, he threw them into the pigs. And why would 2,000, why would, if they were all, why would wouldn't just one of them get crazy? Why would, <laughs> why would, I think there were 2,000. But think about that. That means however this happened, and I believe most possession or something like that works because people, they play with evil. They play with the dark side when you're not supposed to. I believe you bring it on yourself. He had 2,000. This was, that's why this man was crazy. It's because demons, it's not like they possess, they're not inside you, but they suppress you. They're around you. They're feeding you negative energy. These, that's why he was crazy. It's because he had all of this, there's power out there. In the name of Christ, there's power in evil. 
which power are you going to hold on to? Because the people in this world are doing the wrong thing and they feel powerful for it. But one has everlasting power. One has power for a season. So these demons, there may have been 2,000. Then again, that might have just been in there. Who knows? Who knows why? I mean, seems like an awful lot of pigs to be around, especially if you're considering that the Jewish people weren't supposed to be eating pigs. So it seems like an awful lot of them. But uh, so there are 2,000. But then we see the human element. What we saw so far is a divine confrontation. Christ, who is from the beginning, whose origins are from forever. And we see a demonic entity of legion. And now all of a sudden, we're going to see the human element of this. And 14 says, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came, and when they come to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with the devil that had, on, that had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, so it's fearful you see something happen. Think about what just happened. This guy has been living as a wild man. And they come here and he's sitting clothed, having a regular conversation. And what is their, and what, what, what's the response? 17. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. They were upset about the pigs. They were mad because the pigs were how they made money. That was their livelihood. They were mad about the pigs. They just saw a person who was, for all intents and purposes, damned to hell, who had been living this horrible life, naked and cold among the, among the graves that they had pushed out, who, could, who was completely out of his mind. They see him sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and the only thing they could think about was themselves. You took our pigs away. Get out. Get out. We don't want this because you took away our income. It's kind of funny how that I wasn't too far off from that. I did something. There was a situation. And I went from having a nice income to having a much less income. And you know what I said? Get out. I'm done with this. Get out. How dare you take something from me, God? Get out. That's the human aspect of this. He showed grace to somebody who had no other option but to the Son of God, the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is the only one who could have done what this happened here. And the only thing you can think about is yourself. Christ came and died and rose again. And all you have to do is believe on him and you can get to go to heaven. And you say, yeah, but what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You have to go to heaven. Yeah, but what about this earth? What about this life? What do I get now? Oh, maybe you get nothing. Maybe you get less. Maybe you get to live on the streets. 
Maybe the reason why you get to live on the streets is because there needs to be somebody on the streets who believes in God so that he can witness to the other people on the streets. Maybe it has nothing to do with you at all and everything to do with the Holy Spirit and what his work is. Maybe we need to get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can get to work. We need, and I use this a lot, we need to empty ourselves of ourselves. Nothing is easier to do than have conceit. Especially when you're good at stuff. Somebody who can hit a ball, somebody who is really good at math, somebody who is really good at history, somebody who is really good at web design, or whatever the thing is, writing books. Not conceit. You need to empty yourself of yourself so that you are available to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you think of the whole, yourself as like a glass, like a like a glass jar, if you put cloudy water in there, which is what we are, we're dirty before God. The light shines on it and it's blocked. But if you empty that of that cloudy water, and actually, if you had cloudy water, you could just like pour some bleach in there and it'll go clear. But if you took and you emptied that jar out. And you put the jar by itself, you say, oh, well, you can see the light coming through it. Yeah, but if you put water in that jar, the water will act as a magnifying glass. And it will actually make the, the light seem brighter. It will act as a catalyst, and it will make it brighter. It will magnify the light that was already there. If we can empty ourselves of the dirty water of ourselves and fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, maybe then the Spirit will be magnified because when the people look at us, they don't see us. They see the magnification of what Christ has done with us. Sometimes you come from the place you're at to the place you are now, the place you were to the place you are now, because somebody sees that and they go, how did that person go from all the way there to here? Well, maybe the only thing that explains it to me is the Holy Spirit, evidently, because I would have never thought that. The human aspect... You see a miracle right in front of you, and the only thing you think of is, what about me? And it happened. We're just, the day we die, we will struggle with that. Great, lovely saints who have worked their entire life furthering the gospel can still have problems of, what about me? It just happens. It's the way we are. I believe it's there because it keeps reminding you of how much you really need the Savior. How much you really need. If you ever, you've ever got to a place where you had arrived at perfection, then you'd start immediately thinking it was something you did. The fact that you can't arrive at perfection means you always have to be aware of the fact you need something bigger than you. That's, I believe that is perfectly on purpose. That's how it works. That's the reason why the word denomination will say, well, you can become perfect. You can't become perfect. It doesn't happen. There's one person that's perfect. And they killed him. So if you were perfect, I don't know why you're standing here, because he didn't make it very long. He made it about 32 years. So we're just going to... We're going to look at verse 19. And we're going to see how that the possessed man, though, We'll start at 18. It says, And when he was come into the ship, he that was possessed with the devil prayed him 
that he might be with him. He wanted to follow Jesus wherever he went. And what did Jesus say? Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and has had compassion on thee. You know why he picked a man that was possessed with demons? That had this, who had nothing to gain? Who had nothing to lose? Was because he knew that if he picked him, he, with the next verse, says, And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. It was because he knew that from his lowly estate, he would bring the word to the people. Not from a pulpit, in his everyday life, in his every interaction. He's working his job, and he goes, you know what, how crazy is this, where I came from to where I am now? That could only be of God. And people go, yeah, that's true. I remember the way you were. It was an everyday. God didn't say, come leave this world and be different and separated from it. He said, no, go live in it. Go home. Go home. Live. Be a testament. What greater thing can we be than a testament to God? That's it. That is the entirety. That's, that's all we have. That's all there is to it. Jesus doesn't necessarily want. I have a hard time. I believe there are evangelists, because Paul was an evangelist. He traveled his whole life. There were a select few that were called for that. But Christ calls people to plant themselves somewhere so that they can grow roots so that the fruit that you see is not they themselves. It is, the, it is what they do in the area around them. Christ is not just seen in the pulpit. Christ is seen in the everyday. Christ is seen in the everyday. You're to be a living testimony for him. Let's flip to James in the first chapter for our closing. Because this, James gets a bad rap because a lot of people think he's legalistic. And if following the law of God and doing what Jesus said is legalistic, then he is guilty as charged. But... The problem with this is that people look at it wrongly. Remember, Jesus did say that if you really loved me, you'd keep the commandments. They're not going to keep them perfectly. I mean, think about Peter. Peter denied him over and over again and still got to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time. But he tried. He failed miserably a number of times, but he tried. So in James 1, we're starting the 13th verse. It says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. God's not tempting anybody to do evil. You want to do evil. The difference is God lets you have what you want sometimes. 14th verse. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When we went through in the Sunday school, what is every good gift? The good gifts are what we said, ministry, testimony, living a good life, doing the things that God tells you to do, showing mercy on people, showing compassion on people, helping people. If you have means, give. If you don't, pray. Do what you can do. 18th says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be of a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluidity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if a man is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes away, and straightway forgets what manner of man he is. The reason why you can never arrive is because that way you will never forget the kind of man you are. It's, it's on purpose, but it's also grace. Falling short is not, doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means you're human. It means you, you still have a reason and a purpose. If you have one breath in your body, you've got purpose in your life. And everything that has happened up to this moment is to prepare you to be a vessel for God's use. Now, as Paul says, you can be prepared for a vessel of destruction to show God's wrath, or you can be a, a vessel that even if you're broken, you'll be sealed with the Spirit, and you can be filled and used so that you can show the love of Christ. If you had a pot that was made of clay, a dark clay, and the light was on the other side, you wouldn't be able to see the light unless there were cracks. Your cracks are not something to be ashamed of. Your cracks are what make you individuals and what makes it so much more beautiful when you are working the will of God. The reason why the angels rejoice when people get saved is because they see who we are, who we really are. And then they see the grace that is poured out on us. So may we never forget that we are broken vessels, but may we never forget if you have one breath in your body, God still has something for you. So may we all continue to strive in our lives that no matter what happens, we will follow the law of God, which is what? Love God. Love each other. Believe on Christ. It's the only way to heaven. It's that simple. Simple. Believe and be saved. Love God. Love others. It's power of the prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for this time. I thank you again for this book that we can read and just see that you are gracious on everyone. You choose who to shine the light of grace on. 
and it is a beautiful thing. Pray that for everyone here as we go out, that you'll just you'll just protect them and just stay with them. That no matter what happens, that they'll have the comfort of knowing that you're with them, that you care, you love them like a father, and it's a perfect love. It can be a hard love, but it's a perfect love. Thank you for giving me this chance to speak. I thank you for pouring out your grace that no matter who we are or where we are, we have a mission. I ask that you can watch these people and that all they do will bring your glory. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.